everybody, welcome to another edition of the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, bringing you the top health tech news stories and analysis every single week. Uh, my name's James, and with me today, I have got Bell and a new recruit to the Somex team, Chaz. Uh, welcome, Bell and Chaz. Uh, Chaz, how are you doing? Uh, initiation by fire coming onto the Health Tech podcast in your first week. Uh, yeah, how's it been? It's been a lovely week, I have to admit. I'm loving the energy here. I got invited onto this in my very first week, as you said, is definitely a baptism by fire, <laughs> but I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Love it. <laughs> that is the Somex spirit. Exactly. <laughs> and, and just briefly, Chaz, because uh, people won't have met you before, uh, roughly, well, you're a professional breakdancer, aren't you? And that's exactly why you've been hired by Somex to just sort of break dance in and around the joint. <laughs> um, but you also do do you also do some health tech marketing, which is super helpful for us. Of course. Well, my introduction to health tech came through uh, Femtech Lab, which is the leading women's health accelerator program. Um, that was my introduction to health tech. It's also my introduction to uh, Somex as well. And it's been lovely to get to know Somex during my time at FM Tech Lab. And I'm just very excited to be here. Excellent. Of course, you've got to say all that because your boss is in the room. But um, thank you for saying it anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> um, purposely on, on record. Exactly. So and and literally on. Any moments of weakness. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Leverage achieved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right. Let's talk about some health tech. Cool. And yeah, Chaz's baptism by fire. Um, the first story this week, uh, Chaz, Chaz, you've read this, um, but let me let me explain it for the listeners. So former Bose engineers, uh, that's Bose, the sound engineering company that makes epic speakers and headphones, etc. Former Bose engineers have designed earbuds to help you sleep better. Um, yeah, 20 year veteran at Bose, uh, Someone has overseen the development of these next-gen products across the audio company. And now, uh, yeah, we've got some earbuds to help you get a better night's sleep. Chaz, how do these work? What's going on here? So it works without the pharmaceutical intervention, really. I, th I think that's the major thing because there's a lot more um, research going into how can we optimize people's health without there being an economic issue? Mm. Because it has been a big economic issue in terms of like, people's mental health and people's lifestyle i think you know with the way that our uh society is working right now a lot of people are overworked and maybe undernourished so of course to optimize our rest is a big thing and there's lots of apps and there's lots of um wearables as well that helps with this and this is just the next thing in line but it looks really promising actually and I'm really looking forward because they just came um, out of like, they've just unveiled this, right? Mm. So it will be interesting to uh, follow them and see exactly what data they can get in terms of how it really helps to optimize the, our rest and sleep. I tell you what is interesting to me here is that they're talking about the idea of this being without pharmaceutical intervention, which is great because it's for people with chronic sleep issues, right? Not just people who want to optimize their sleep, for people that are really, really struggling and have potentially tried all the hacks. They've tried all the apps. They've tried not looking at a phone for four hours before bed. They've tried all these things. And so they are having to turn to medical interventions to do that. So it's interesting here as to how we can bring tech in to potentially solve that problem. Be really interested to know actually what the technology is. They don't 
really tell us in this article at all. It's just a mm. pair of headphones. Like, what does it do? How much will it cost as well? Well, one thing that is quite fascinating here is around 20% of adults need some form of medication if they want to sleep well at night. 20%? Yeah, it's crazy. That's around about 20%. It's, uh, it's around one in five adults. Oof. And it says 80% of those people are using prescription sleep aids, but then that carries into there the next day with side effects. So that then compounds the problem much further because they're not normal and they can't get tired at the normal times. I, that is shocking. So it does say in the article, 40% of people report falling asleep during the day unwanted at least once a month and 50 million to 70 million Americans suffer from a sleep disorder. I'd be very interested where they got that data from, but I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge number. It seems shockingly high. It does seem shockingly yeah. high. I can't see a citation that I can chase that down, but you're right. I think I can't find in the article how the technology actually works. And I thought I was being a bit stupid there. And I'm glad that you've mentioned it because mm. they mention biometric sensors. They mention them being flushed to the ear and the engineering involved in them being in the ear. They do mention the ability to stream audio from any source to them. So I'm assuming this would be paired with some sort of content system or suite that would mm -hmm. deliver some sort of either white noise therapy or, or something along those lines to help. But perhaps it's in the specific engineering of the device itself, how it sits in the ear. Perhaps it's around the biometric sensing. Perhaps it's all of that plus content and then uh, tracking data down the road. But mm, certainly seems a little bit secretive. Yeah, it says that the data is used to personalize and customize digital solutions. So is that content or is it, it working with other third party things in some way, like maybe lighting and alarms and who knows? Mm. Very under the belt. It is. The other thing I was going to mention, which I have found in the article, is that the global sleep tech market is valued at more than $15 billion currently. So it is a huge market. So no wonder they're trying to get into it. That is insane. I mean, you hope it's something as extensive as there being white noise uh, therapy or any other audio it's just involvement Harry Potter there. audiobooks on loop. <laughs> I mean, think of it like this. If they're just uh, selling a set of headphones for you to sleep at night, then why can't I not just wear my normal headphones and get the same amount of rest? Yeah. I know it sounds very vague when you put it that way, but I hope that we'll get some answers there in terms of what exactly is involved and how it really does help. And both speakers are, they don't come in cheap, do they? Yeah, known for their good engineering though. And there's been $10.1 million raised in their Series A whilst they were still in stealth. And so, yeah, one to watch, eh? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Right, our second story today. Are wearable devices the future of precise antibiotic dosing? Now... A team at Imperial College London have essentially developed a wearable that can monitor the levels of antibiotics in a patient's system and a, a technology similar to, I suppose, the feedback loop between monitoring glucose and then an artificial pancreas that diabetics might use. They've developed a similar system for antibiotics. Now, I've obviously worked as a doctor, I've worked in intensive care, and there are 
many, many flaws to the way that particularly very powerful antibiotics are given to patients and monitored because of how powerful they are. Uh, some antibiotics, for example, can have really severe ototoxicity. So they can end up, you, you can end up with hearing impairment and deafness, for example, if you're if your level of antibiotics in the blood remains too high for too long of a time. And so what we do in the hospitals and as, as clinicians is we will use a test, a blood test, to measure the level of antibiotics in the blood. And we'll send that blood away, we'll get that test back, and then we'll adjust the dose in order to keep it within a therapeutic range. Now, that is obviously quite time-consuming, and there's lags, and it's not necessarily that precise. It's certainly not as precise as something like continuous glucose monitoring to be able to correlate certain things going on, um, or even just to have very accurate, very up-to-date readings. And so what this team at Imperial College have done is essentially, or well, this article really goes through kind of all of the problems of the way that we use antibiotics now, the way that we dose them, the way that we go through them. They go through some of the efforts that are uh, and initiatives worldwide that are worldwide that are focusing on uh, either determining the optimal drug concentration or identifying effective biomarkers using AI to predict might, what might be good. And so, essentially, what what they're saying in in this article is that the way that we're using antibiotics, particularly very powerful antibiotics, is perhaps a little bit dated. And I think that's reasonable. I think in a in a world where we're looking at real predictive medicine for lots of different things in a world of artificial pancreases and continuous glucose monitoring. And we know all the engineering that goes into those continuous glucose monitors, particularly if you've listened to my other podcast and uh, we went into the <laughs> the PhD uh, physics of adhesives, even <laughs> in those glucose monitors, like the amount of engineering that goes into these things is, is, is crazy. And so for us to be in a world where we're not doing that for antibiotics and things like antimicrobial resistance are a real threat to humanity. It's a wonder that more effort has not gone into this. And so guys, I know that you've had uh, it's a long article. I know you've had a read or a skim of this. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think one of the things that immediately jumps to mind for me is you mentioned there that we've got the threat of resistance and stuff like that. And I think for most people, when they hear the word antibiotic resistance, they immediately jump to the idea that it's due to over-prescribing of that and people popping too many antibiotics for other reasons. But actually, it's more to do with the fact that when you do take antibiotics, people aren't necessarily taking them at the correct dose for the correct length of time. They're maybe not coming off them as they should or coming onto them as they should. And something like this just makes sense, really, because as you say, if the dose is too high, it can induce toxicity. If the juice is too, dose is too low, that's when resistant populations start to come into effect and resistance rises in a human. So actually making sure that we can ensure that we never are getting too low or too high just seems like the obvious thing to do. And I think good technology is when you're like, well, why doesn't this exist already? It just makes sense. Um, so that to me is what I think is particularly interesting because it not only ensures that people are taking it properly, but it solves this very real problem. And then I think if you then take a step back and think, well, how do we use antibiotics today? I think it might change that a little bit because you're ensuring that only people who really need them wear them because they've got a potentially wearable device that 
obviously gives you the actual antibiotic dosage as well, rather than just taking a pill and hoping for the best. So I think people might be a bit more intentional with their usage of antibiotics as well, which I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, it's really, really interesting technology. What they say here is that the current kind of technology approach with um, therapeutic drug monitoring is quite reactive. You take a dose, you measure that dose in the blood, you see if it needs to be higher or lower, and then you change the dose accordingly. Whereas with this, it gives us the data sort of every point in time. So it allows us to have a much more proactive like approach to it where we say, well, this is what the dose needs to be. We're going to plug that into our wearable, hook that up to the person's sensor, and we're just going to ensure we optimize for that. So yeah, really, really interesting, I think. And I'll be interested to see how it actually makes its way to patients because, you know, with diabetes, it's something which affects their day-to-day life. So wearing a wearable sensor is lovely. It's great. It's so much better than what the technology was before. But when you've got something which is potentially wearing a sensing an administrative device when the alternative was taking a pill, and that's maybe only something that you take for a week or two weeks at a time, I'd be interested to see what the uptake's like on things like that. I think that bit might be far into the future because there's almost two things that come to mind for me. The, the first the first group would be the kind of, are you on a potentially toxic antibiotic that's incredibly powerful so itu patients and things like that i I think then you're protecting against toxicity at the sort of the top end and maintaining the therapeutic dose and that's kind of one use case for it i think the other use case for it is yeah you could see a time in the future where and they talk about this in the article actually where you've also combined the individual patient and everything about them their pharmacogenomics, their pharmacokinetics, all of that stuff to figure out the exact perfect dose for them to get over said condition very quickly and to reduce resistance completely or as much as possible. And everyone, as you say, in this in this new world is walking around with one of these things on, um, maintaining the absolute perfect dose uh, at all times. So I think there's definitely two kind of things that come to mind there of like, yeah, we'd probably end up starting with the more crude version of, you know, let's just make sure that when we're, when we're giving gentamicin or whatever, like one of the mycins that, um, that we're not having real severe toxicities and we're keeping people in the therapeutic range. And then as it, as with everything, you assume any rate of progress, you can then see that world where it's like, well, Hey, we can actually completely optimize ourselves for the good of humanity here and reduce antimicrobial resistance and things like that. But I'll tell you what, Bell, this, this is super interesting. I suppose you use it as a PhD chemist. So I asked, I asked ChatGPT to look through this article and actually like help me understand what the device Excellent. is. How all good sentences start. How all good sentences start. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you've got to be honest about using it, right? But get this, right? So yeah. inspired by microneedle biosensors used to check blood glu- glucose levels in people with diabetes. So this patch is basically the same. It's a patch coated with a beta-lactamase enzyme. So uh, chemistry-wise, there's a beta-lactam ring. Um, and when the beta-lactam antibiotic comes into contact with the needles, it's hydrolyzed, causes a change in local pH. It's then detected electrochemically, which allows this real-time monitoring of antibiotic levels. Like It's just like a wonder of like humanity and engineering that we can get to a point where you've got micro-needles that are detecting changes in pH because of a patch that's got a beta-lactamase enzyme that changes the chemical structure of an antibiotic 
like that that isn't that just it's wonderful. fascinating and I think micro needles are an interesting thing as well because people hear the word needle and think oh it's going to be just shards of metal poking into my skin but you know micro needle technology is often like flexible silicon things and you know it's it, they're really gentle and comfortable to wear and if you are going to be wearing something all day that's that's only a good thing but yeah it's incredible when you think I always am blown away by not only the science and engineering that underpins these things and the years and decades of work in something that is ultimately the size of a fingernail. I think the same when it comes to design and stuff, you think, why did someone decide to make a handle this long on a toothbrush or whatever it might be? <laughs> Absolutely fascinating when you when you really think of that because every single decision is has a cause for that. Like it's made for a reason to achieve something. But yeah, you say uh, chemistry, but that is organic chemistry, which let's not lie, is the devil. Um, <laughs> <but fine>. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know the politics between chemists, but I've learned something there. <laughs> well, I think it's an interesting point because how invasive would the wearable actually be? It sounds like it's the first of its kind. It sounds like uh, it's really going to help and it really refines the actual process. And you just wonder how invasive will it be? Because if you think of like a uh, Fitbit, it just looks like a watch. It seems very non-invasive, but you don't know exactly how massive it will be. And then over time, while the size gets smaller, the more intricate the, uh, the uh, science is. You know what? I watched a film sometime this or last year, and it's kind of reminding me of it because I can see a future if we, we go into you know decades in the future and think of every person having a sensor and basically you can plug in modules depending on what you need. So, you know, if you're diabetic, that sensor would be, have, have like the diabetes plug in and obviously would, you know, give you insulin as needed. But you can imagine that if you came down with something, you'd sort of like plug in the antibiotic thing and that would be in your sensor and it's all done in one sensor and it optimizes for lots of different things at once. I think that is really interesting. And I don't think is out of the realms of possibility obviously not anytime soon but it feels like that's the direction we're going in cool so there we are a jetson's future where we've all got flying cars and a patch on us that tells us our exact level of antibiotic needed and an artificial pancreas style administration technique that means that we don't need to worry about it so ideal a future that we can all look forward to Our next story today, uh, Amazon partners with the Maven Clinic to offer reproductive care to employees in 50 countries. Obviously, Jessica is not with us today, but often champions the uh, women's health segment of this podcast. But here we are. Here we are again. Uh, and so this can certainly be no bad thing, can it, Val? No. And what's nice here is it's it's just a little feel good story with Amazon involved, which is not normally the way it makes its way into headlines in terms of its employees. So this is really nice. They're basically partnered with the Maven Clinic, which is a virtual health clinic, in order to offer fertility and family building support to, I think, one million employees outside of US and Canada. So it's available to anyone that works at Amazon. You don't have to be full-time, full-time, part-time, um, even people who work on hourly rates. But through this, through this partnership, they'll have access to... Um, reproductive support such as endocrinologists, gynecologists, nutritionists that also have support from like adoption health providers if that's the route they're going down to for family planning. So it's a really kind of all-encompassing approach which is 
not only needed because so often this sort of thing is overlooked and neglected by companies and the thing in the headlines is things like maternity pay and and things like that but whilst that is absolutely vital actually the support for people that are maybe struggling at that stage to even become pregnant can take its toll hugely and that will then have a massive impact on your output as a worker if you're struggling with this health stuff and this mental stuff and you know it's a huge mental load when you're going through that sort of thing and, and struggling with it and I know it can be a really long road for those people as well this program also offers them access to mental health support when they're going through that as well which I think is really really nice the way it actually works is although they are a virtual health clinic every person will have a local partner to kind of support them on their journey so they will have that kind of person or place that they go to to get that support so they feel like they have a personalized approach and personalized care on their own individual journey. And obviously, as this is occurring through through their partners kind of worldwide, so Europe, Asia, Latin America, Middle East and Africa, these local partners as well ensure that people are getting regional specific advice. They're not being given information that is just not relevant to them because they've got a US employer hmm. and you know it doesn't that doesn't make sense when you live in Europe because healthcare is different. Um, so yeah, really, really lovely story. And I hope one that people look at and, and think that's the way that we, we should be moving towards in terms of the support that we give people in terms of support on their reproductive journeys at every stage from the beginning, right to when someone's actually obviously pregnant and then to all the support that comes afterwards. It really is an all encompassing thing and we can learn from Amazon here. Mm. Yeah, Maven Clinic doing incredibly well. Um, recently acquired Natal to yeah. fuel their expansion into the UK and Europe. Um, and as of March 2023, Maven manages the care of 15 million patients. Incredible that numbers. is excellent. I'll tell you what, like for a digital health company to be achieving that scale in an area that is incredibly well needed and bringing excellent services to people that, certainly need them and as you say bell sort of like changing changing the paradigm of what a good employer does i think that's a really mm -hmm. a really positive thing because amazon obviously being a huge employer obviously big tech being very competitive with each other for talent you'd expect similar to happen across big tech and other big tech to, big tech to follow and then them setting the example for others i think yeah it's wonderful and actually even for them to know that their employees will be taken care of, to know that their employees will have smoother returns back to work. It is business model positive. It's an example of, yeah, I guess capitalism actually working um, if it is conscientious. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like this feels, it feels like a really nice thing and it's, it's nice for both the employer and the employee, but ultimately it just makes sense from a business point of mm. view as well. Like if you make your employees' lives easier, you make them feel supported, then not only will people want to work for you, but they will stay working for you for longer because they feel that you've got their back. You often only find that in smaller companies, like, but to find that in a bigger company must feel quite refreshing, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I would say that it is reassuring in terms of workplace well-being because there's nothing worse than having to take any unnecessary time off work for something that's very natural. I mean, obviously, we're not just talking about uh, parenthood here. I'm sure it, it expands into, into other areas as well. I think there is more legislation and more uh, policy that is coming out 
around workplace well-being in terms of reproductive health and it's a step in the right right way here yeah it's a really good word actually natural i remember when i was a doctor and i did a neonates placement and the first thing that one of the obstetric consultants came in and said to us all as juniors was that this is one of if if not the only place in the hospital where everybody here is actually doing something natural it's it there aren't necessarily disease processes going on here people are in this part of the hospital doing something that you know 50% of humans can actually do and so um to be penalized for things that are natural and the consequences of something that is natural just doesn't sit right with me or I'm sure with many others. And so that's why I think, Val, you mentioned a few times, this is a good news story. It's a feel good story. Like it is because it feels like a correction of some injustice almost that that and we can't correct for it entirely. It's so multifaceted with taking time off. And I've talked about this on my podcast as well with actually Mohammed from Patients Know Best and how he approached that with his wife and, and fatherhood and entrepreneurship and motherhood and all those things. It's very difficult when people take different time off. And we know that obviously childbirth is a is a privilege given to women and there's much that we can do to support in the workplace um, because of that and the consequences of it and so it does feel like a correction it does feel like a positive uh step in the right direction and so yeah i could not agree more with you both but ultimately i will just say whilst this is good and it is nice ultimately there does need to be massive policy change around this because lots of the issues that you've just mentioned there james in terms of taking time off mm. is policy-led yeah how much time are you entitled to? How good is maternity or paternity pay? Rubbish. Yep. How expensive is childcare in UK? One of the most expensive places in the whole world. It's mad and it's frustrating because like you say, it's 50% of people. It's 50% of your workforce. If everyone just didn't work, you'd feel the effects of it. So why the hell aren't you supporting people? Because you can look to other countries where they do support people going through you know, any point in their reproductive journey and you can see that it leads to a better a better world and a better country with better efficiency and higher retention and better happiness and better health and all these things which are totally within our control and we just need to make changes. And I'm really glad that there's a big talking point now. Um, I think it's vital that we have these difficult conversations and I really hope that it leads to, leads to some action that will you know, make a difference. Chaz, do you know much about those policy changes that you mentioned? You mentioned that, you know, looking at potential policy changes over the horizon or whatever, like, it, do you know what's going on? Um, I don't know too much about it. All that I know is that I've attended events, uh, one of which was called Revolutionizing the Workplace, organized by Fematech Lab, where they actually talked about this. How do you make the workplace uh, fairer? How do you make it more in the way that people actually feel safe to be there without the uh, repercussions that we said there. Um, so me, as a, as a guy, I, I don't really know all that much about it. But I think one of the big sort of uh, talking points is the loss of work that can come from this. And obviously, a lot of people are motivated by the bottom line. And if you don't have half of your team there, 
for natural reasons, then that will really impact them. So I, so I think it does take a massive uh, shift in that way. But I really hope to see some really good things happen soon. So yeah, good news from the Maven Clinic and Amazon. So uh, just reading from the article, so Maven is, for those that are interested, an employee-friendly benefit that takes the guesswork out of the family building process, which can often be confusing and overwhelming. Um, the benefits are intended to care for all employees' needs, uh, and Maven's approach offers tailored care for every person. Um, good for Amazon, good for Maven. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, that has been the stories for this week. Uh, there's lots going on in Health Tech this week. Uh, lots more in the newsletter. Uh, if you want to grab that, go to www.healthtechpigeon.com or just search for Health Tech Pigeon. Otherwise, you can hear us next week on this podcast. Thank you for joining us.